wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the premiere episode of Wrestle Rant Radio in the month of September for September 7th, 2017. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. And just like that, three-fourths of 2017 is just about up. The year is just flying by. It's crazy. Uh, someone asked me yesterday, like, my general thoughts on WWE and pro wrestling in 2017. And I had to say, and my thoughts haven't really changed in the 24 hours since I answered the question on hashtag AskGSM, it's been pretty good. And I think this past week was a nice way to kind of sum up 2017 in a nutshell. I thought the main events for all four of WWE shows this week, which we'll talk about, um, if we have time to talk about 205 Live, I will. Though I will mention the main event for that show, Raw, SmackDown, and even NXT, were all excellent. Between Braun Strowman and the Big Show in a steel cage match, Randy Orton and Shinsuke Nakamura for the first time ever to determine the new number one contender to the WWE Championship, uh, the Fatal 5-Way on 205 Live to crown a new contender to the Cruiserweight Championship, and even the notice qualification match. It technically didn't close the show, but it was still the main event of NXT on Wednesday between Cassius Ono and Hideo Itami. Um, four back-to-back-to-back-to-back great main events. Uh, so we'll be talking all about that soon enough. But we have a very special show on tap for you guys here today. My exclusive interview with Johnny Impact from GFW, better known as John Morrison from WWE, Johnny Nitro of old, Johnny Mundo. The guy's had many names, um, but also many championships too. He's the current AAA Mega Champion, the current Lucha Underground Champion as of this recording, and he's held many other titles in AAA currently as well. I think he's like the Latin America Champion or something like that. I don't watch AAA. I'm not really sure, but I know he is currently a three-time champion, not even including the Lucha Underground Championship. So uh, the guy's doing really well for himself. I'll give my general thoughts on Impact after, Johnny Impact that is, and his arrival in GFW. But big thanks to GFW for allowing me once again to be a part of the conference call to talk to Johnny Impact. Literally just yesterday on Wednesday afternoon, he had a uh, a slew of qu- questions to answer from the media, myself included. So you'll hear my portion of the questions that I asked him. Uh, it's only about five minutes long. It's not an incredibly long interview, but it was cool to be able to pick his brain about his journey in getting to GFW, whether it was the right time to get to GFW, other projects he was working on prior to coming into the company, his thoughts on The Miz, his recent resurgence in WWE, given they are former tag team partners uh, from 07 to 09, and former well-documented rivals as well. It was The Miz who had John Morrison's final match in WWE about six years ago. And we also talk a bit about how he arrived on his ring name of Johnny Impact, why he changed it from Johnny Mundo for his GFW debut, and plenty more. So it's a great five-minute interview. I'll play that right now. And then afterwards, I will break down my thoughts from Raw, SmackDown, and NXT from this past week and other various news regarding WWE and even some GFW news as well. Enjoy, folks. Hey, Johnny. This is Graham Matthews with HiddenRoute.com. Uh, you've had a long and well-documented journey in getting to GFW between your work in AAA and Lucha Underground when most fans expected you to join GFW immediately following your WWE departure back in 2011. Uh, do you think now is a better time for you to come into the company as opposed to six years ago, considering how much you've grown as a performer? Yeah, I'm, I couldn't be happy with the way that it worked out. And the reason I didn't come right away was because when I left WWE, uh, wasn't like I, I left on bad terms. I was I was planning on just taking a year off, and um, I left because I wanted to do to do movies and um, to make that uh, to make that movie that ended up taking a lot longer than I thought. So I talked to Lagana, uh, Taz, Dixie, and um, and Big John, Big John Gaborg several times back then, and it just never really. Uh, happened because I didn't want to uh, take myself out of Los Angeles. Then um, 
well, like you said, well-documented journey. All that stuff happened. <laughs> and uh, I ended up in a situation where I was working for Lucha Underground, working for AAA, and there's an opportunity to start having all these promotions work together. And I could represent all three of these companies at the same time and still have a, enough control of my time to uh, to write movies, to, to audition, to do fun shorts and things, which is ultimately all I wanted was, uh, well, was with WWE, it was a little bit more creative autonomy. So for me personally, this is the perfect time. And I would say that's first. And then secondary, for me professionally, I'm the best I've ever been physically in the ring and also psychologically when it comes to understanding what a pro wrestler is supposed to do, basically. How to how to have good matches, what your job is when you're in the ring. Uh, similar to yourself, your former tag team partner, The Miz, has actually reinvented himself in a major way in recent years and is arguably arguably better now than he was before. Uh, what have been your thoughts on his recent resurgence in the WWE? And have you kept in contact with him at all as well? Oh, yeah. We, uh, we text back and forth all the time. Every time uh, my IMDb meter is higher than his, I snap it and send it over to him and tell him that Boone the Dining Room is better than the ring. <laughs> um, he's a... Uh, He's been killing it, and uh, I, I think it really comes down to the Miz is always emphatically himself. He, uh, he never changed who he was. He's always, whether in the ring or in real life, kind of this, this loud, abrasive, confident guy. And um, he's also a really good friend and a loyal friend and um, <laughs> in smaller groups, really fun to hang out with. But uh, because he's got that quality that's remained consistent, he knows who he is in the ring and out of the ring. And I think that confident core of, uh, of, of Mike Zanin is what's propelled him to the next level of success with wrestling. It's, uh, it's, it's been really cool to see. I put him on the dream match list also. It'd be cool to uh, have more fun to tag with him or kick his ass, but either one would be interesting. Uh, between Johnny Nitro, John Morrison, and Johnny Mundo, you've obviously had a lot of names in wrestling. And this might be a simple question, but how did the Johnny Impact ring name come about? Uh, came up as a, as a, a little bit of a joke first. Because you're thinking about, all right, well, um, Mundo is a Lucha Underground name, and um, we wanted to do something different. So we started like brainstorming names. And I forget who said Johnny Impact first, but it was like kind of like, Johnny Impact. <laughs> and then uh, everyone thought about it for an extra couple of seconds. But, you know, <laughs> that could work. <laughs> it's a little bit cheesy and on the nose, but uh, but it's also fun. And wrestling should be fun, first and foremost. And um, I've actually really grown to like it. Big thanks to Johnny Impact for his time. Had a great time talking to him. I'll be it for only five minutes, but it was a fun time to pick his brain on various things I had questions about, from his GFW debut to The Miz to even his ring name, how he came about that, and the funny story that came along with it that he talked about right there. But, um, yeah, it was cool. I was a big fan of John Morrison in WWE. It's really cool to see how far he's come since then, six years ago when he left the company on his own terms. And really, if the last time you saw John Morrison was in WWE six years ago, you've really been missing out. Like, the guy has been killing it in Lucha Underground, AAA, on the independent scene. And he's also doing a lot of movies, too. He talked about it there, Boone the Bounty Hunter and a few other projects and movies he's done. I'm pretty sure he did a Hercules movies too, the same year that The Rock came out with his in 2014. I might be wrong about that, but I know he's done that, that he was in Glow. Someone else asked him about that in the conference call, so he was in the, I think the very first episode of Glow, one of the first two episodes, I think, and uh, he did a great job there, and Glow is coming back for a season two, which I've also talked about before here on the show. I talked to my grandmother about the show about a month ago here on WrestleRant Radio, so check that out if you haven't already. But at any rate, getting back to Johnny Impact, he will be on Impact tonight on GFW on Pop TV starting at 8, 7 Central. Check out the show. And again, big thanks to GFW for once again allowing me to be a part of the conference call. Uh, next week, they already announced, usually they wait a few days in advance. They wait for a few days before the conference call takes place. But they've already announced next Wednesday on the conference call, they're having Scott Demore, Sanjay Dutt, 
and Big John Gaborik, the three primary members of the GFW creative team, to talk about their direction heading into Bound for Glory uh, this November. I think for the first time ever, Bound for Glory is emanating in the month of November as opposed to October, which is usually when it has been in the past. Um, but that's going to be a big interview, so I'm looking forward to talking to all three guys. I should be around that day. It's usually around like 1 o'clock in the afternoon, so I look forward to that and asking them some questions about Bound for Glory coming up. So uh, before we move forward into my WWE, SmackDown, Raw, NXT reviews, and whatnot, I do want to talk a bit about some GFW news while we're on the topic of GFW and creative and stuff like that. It was reported this past week, not even reported, it was announced by GFW themselves on Tuesday night that Jeff Jarrett has been indefinitely taken a leave of absence from the company uh, due to personal matters. Now, they did address that at the start of the conference call yesterday. The um, uh, director of talent relations, I believe his title is Ross Foreman, did uh, address that and read out the statement saying they will be taking no questions about Jeff Jarrett going forward. And Jeff Jarrett was not brought up again, so which is understandable. I really don't think that was the forum to be asking those questions anyway. I realize it was, you know, for the media and for them to ask questions about certain situations like that. And they've also talked about Del Rio and El Patron before and stuff like that. I think El Patron's been brought up in every conference call that I've been a part of anyway, uh, just because he's really been a hot topic as of late. In my personal opinion, they should just let the guy go. He's not that big of an asset to the company now. I mentioned Johnny Impact before. I love the addition of Johnny Impact, Johnny Mundo, John Morrison, call him what you will, to GFW. I think he adds a lot to the roster. Uh, the guy, as he said in my in, in his answer to my questions, he's better now than he's ever been. Um, I think he's a perfect example of a guy with notoriety from his WWE run, but is also currently relevant and having achieved success in AAA and Lucha Underground. Again, as of this recording, he's still the Lucha Underground champion which is unprecedented to appear on both shows. He did talk about that um, during the course of the conference call, saying that how is it possible for you to be on both shows right now, which at one point didn't seem plausible, but he, he didn't really give a clear-cut answer, but it does seem like there is some sort of working relationship there. There is a working relationship between GFW and AAA. I'm not sure how Lucha Underground plays into that and their contract and whatever. But what I'm trying to get out of here, and I'll get to the Jeff Jarrett situation, I'm really off track, but with El Patron, Del Rio, whatever, uh, it was rumored at one point they would be bringing him back in time for Bound for Glory. Now, I don't know if it would be post-Bound for Glory, because in one of the reports that came out from PW Insider addressing the whole Jeff Jarrett leave of absence from GFW this past week, it was said that an internal plan was to do Jeff Jarrett versus El Patron. And I kind of threw up on my mouth a little bit when I said that, because I have no intention, no desire to see that match in GFW, that would be stretching it for like a main event of an independent show in a high school gym. But to do that as a as a marquee match at a GFW Bound for Glory pay-per-view, at a time where they're trying to reinvent themselves, they do the former face, or not even a face, but you know the former face, I almost said of WCW, but maybe the former face of TNA, the founder of the company, taking on a former WWE champion. That just it, it doesn't sound good. Like, I guess the whole premise behind the match was that Del Rio would be frustrated, that he was suspended and had his title taken from him, blah, blah, blah. And he's better as a heel anyway, but just cut your fucking losses and get rid of the guy. The guy's not worth all the headaches that they've gotten from him so far. That was pretty apparent as soon as they signed him that he was going to be a train wreck and represent this company pretty poorly when they brought him in back in March. And it's been, has not been smooth sailing since then. Uh, they put the championship on him because they thought he was their biggest star and it's really a slap in the face of the rest of the roster who have been there and have deserved their, deserved their opportunity at the championship. And not only deserved, but would be a better face for that company than El Patron. And quickly already, Eli Drake has been proven to be that guy. We talked to Eli Drake here on the show two weeks ago. I interviewed him about a month ago. He's awesome. I'm really happy he's doing well as the new GFW Global Champion. Patron, I guess the whole reason why they brought him in, in the first place was uh, via a broker deal with... Jeff Jarrett. Now that Jeff Jarrett is temporarily out of the picture. Now, it wasn't really clarified as to whether he's gone from the company. Uh, they did say in the statement he will be brought in on a consultative basis for creative stuff, I believe. But beyond that, he's... It sounds like he's gone from the company. Um, but I'm not really sure how that plays into the fact that they're GFW and there have been reports from Justin Barrasso of Sports Illustrated, uh, of Sports Illustrated that 
GFW and Impact never really officially merged, and how is, how is that going to play? It's a whole mess. It's a giant mess, um, which is a shame because the TV product of GFW has been really fucking good as of late. Like I said, Eli Drake is the new GFW Global Champion. I'm really happy he's doing well on the top of the card where he belongs, where he deserves to be. Uh, they just brought in Johnny Impact. They got Matt Seidel versus Drake tonight. Bobby Lashley is one of their biggest stars. So the TV product, they brought back Taryn Terrell. They brought back Petey Williams. And they're bringing back people and bringing in people now that make sense, that can add to the roster. And Patron really never was that guy. But even as a character, even as a wrestler, he's very good. But I think a lot of people have just soured on the guy. He's, he's yesterday's news. And especially with all the headaches that he's caused backstage and in the public and whatnot, he's just not worth GFW's time if they're attempting to rebrand themselves as in uh, as a new brand, as a new company, and start anew and kind of separate themselves of the TNAs and Impact Wrestlings of the past. GFW is a completely different company as they're trying to paint themselves, but when you hear stuff like this, that Jeff Jarrett's gone, now we have no idea what it's for. Um, again, it was speculated by the online media that it might have been due to some backstage actions at Triple Mania or how he's you know, uh, behaved in recent months when it comes to the Matt Hardy stuff and the Hardy boys and the broken shit, all that other stuff. That's really just kind of a side story at this point. But whatever the reason might be, he's currently gone from GFW, how this affects the creative process. Again, they've already taped all their TV, I believe, up until Bound for Glory in early November. So I'm not sure how this shakes out, what's going to happen there. Um, it's never good to hear something like that. I'm not the biggest Jeff Jarrett fan in the world anyway, but whenever there's turmoil in the company, that's never a good sign. And then there were other reports, uh, from Sports Illustrated and Justin Barrasso has been a pretty credible source in the past saying that Anthem has been quote unquote hemorrhaging funds for impact wrestling for GFW and that the company was in a lot of debt, which is no secret. That's been the case for a while now. When it comes to just a lot of the stuff they, they got themselves into, the Billy Corrigan situation and everything else, that they now want out of GFW. It's been no less, you know, it's been no less than a year, no more than a year that they've been a part of the GFW brand and, you know, funding them and being the parent company of GFW. And they reportedly already won out. So again, we'll follow this story as it transpires. We've heard stuff like this before. The WWE wants to buy GFW. Like, how many times have we heard that over the past 10, 15 years? Like, it's kind of like a yearly story at this point, especially when it comes to the fall and their attendance is down and they, they're not really doing live events. I know they had a string of shows um, back in early August. Funny story, I was going to go to the GFW live show that Sunday in Bridgeport, Connecticut, I had other stuff going on, but I was going to attempt to make it to that show because I really wanted to see GFW. And I've been to a few TNA shows in the past, and they were awesome at the Manhattan Center in August of 2014 and January of 2015, respectively, in New York City, the Hammerstein Ballroom. So I was looking forward to going, but they canceled the show at the last minute, like literally like a week or two before the event. And it was apparently because they never sold enough tickets. So they just did the Friday and Saturday shows instead. So that kind of sucked. So I can't imagine they're doing well, like super well financially. But yeah, as far as it goes with Jeff Jarrett, I'm not really sure where this leaves the creative process, where this leaves him, you know, Jeff Jarrett himself, the company. We'll find out as it goes along. It might be a big story. It might be a small story. It might not affect anything at all. But uh, it is something to keep an eye on in the months ahead. So before we move forward into the Raw SmackDown NXT reviews, I promise we will get there. Just some quick thoughts on the May Young Classic. Episodes 5 through 8 dropped this past week on Labor Day uh, on the WWE Network. And once again, the wrestling was great. Um, I still rank it below the UK Tourney and the Cruiserweight Classic, but the show itself has been really, really good. Um, this past week, we had the second round matches, the quarterfinals, and the semifinals in the course of four episodes. And the finals this upcoming Tuesday after SmackDown. And this really hasn't been promoted at all on Raw or SmackDown. Maybe just because the show dropped on Monday. And they kind of expected people to watch it in the days that followed. But I'm not even sure they mentioned it. I know they're advertising a loaded episode of SmackDown next week. Which will talk about my SmackDown review. But after SmackDown goes off the air in Las Vegas. They have the finals of the Mae Young Classic being taped. Now they've mentioned that before. It's not that they haven't advertised that at all. But the place to you know the place to promote that kind of thing, other than the website and whatever, 
is on Raw and SmackDown to make sure people stick around to watch it or, you know, to see it on the WWE Network. And uh, But the match will be, in the finals, it will be Kyrie Zayn versus Shayna Baszler. And their respective routes and getting to the finals were really, really good. Kyrie Zayn took on a number of competitors from Dakota Kai. She took on Tony Storm. Uh, Bianca Belair might have been one of her better matches. Bianca Belair has only been in the business for, I think, a year now, they sit on commentary. Jim Ross and Lita sit on commentary. So she had, does not have much experience under her belt whatsoever, but she had a stellar showing against Kyrie Zayn in the second round. So uh, definitely check out that match. It might have been on episode five or six. I forgot exactly which one was which. But um, it was a great match. Check it out when you can. So that match was really good. Anything involving Kyrie Zayn was really, really good. Shayna Baszler versus Candice LeRae. And I think the quarterfinals um, was a great match too. I know the semifinals were uh, Mercedes Martinez versus Baszler, which was also a great match. And then Kyrie Zayn versus Tony Storm, which was also fantastic to close out the uh, semifinals in the on-demand portion of the Mae Young Classic. But yeah, LeRae versus Baszler in the quarterfinals was only about three or four minutes minutes long, but it was really, really good for those three or four minutes they got. It was a great match. So uh, yeah, check out. I would recommend checking out all four episodes. My reviews are up here on the website on nextdaywrestling.net. Just go to. I actually also added a category for it here on the on the site too under Columnist Corner. So you can check out all the reviews. I think they're still on the homepage there, but if not, just go to Columnist Corner. Just go to the categories at the bottom of the page for my certain blogs. Like there's reviews and previews and news and whatnot. And there's now a category for the May Young Classics. So that's probably the best way to. Uh, go through my reviews for every episode of the show that is aired to date on the WWE Network. So from there, guys, we will talk about Monday Night Raw from this past week on September 4th, 2017. I forgot where they were emanating from, but it was a pretty good show for a Labor Day episode where they usually kind of phone it in. They know it's a holiday episode. They know the episode. They know the uh, rating for the show will be down. They put forth a pretty solid show. I wouldn't go far as to say it was a great show because it definitely dragged at certain points and the Second hour, the second hour was uh, pretty dull in my opinion. The first hour I thought was great. Uh, they kicked off the show with Jason Jordan versus John Cena. Jason Jordan calling out John Cena in a WWE backstage fallout video on the YouTube channel on social media before Raw went on the air. So it would have been cool if they did that, you know, a week in advance. But they already advertised Strowman and Big Show like on Friday on on their YouTube channel too. So at least they advertised that in advance, in addition to Miz and Jeff Hardy for the IC title. So. They advertised quite a bit for the show on um, the head of Raw um, before it went up before it went live on Monday night. But anyway, Cena and Jason Jordan, great match. The thing with Jason Jordan, and I've said this before, the match was really, really good. He had a very strong showing. He looked great in defeat. The problem is, is that the guy has no charisma. He, he's never really had charisma. Yes, he gelled well with Chad Gable and American Alpha. They had fantastic chemistry. But the problem has never been his in-ring ability. On his own, he's as interesting as watching paint dry. The guy just has no personality whatsoever. He needs to either develop that or get better on the mic or whatever it might be. Because right now, the Kurt Angle, Sun storyline is just not working. The Kurt Angle angle is not working. So I, they need to figure out some sort of solution to this. Because again, he, he got a great showing here. He looked really, really good in defeat. But the problem is that he continues to lose, by the way. He lost at SummerSlam. He lost in the Battle Royal. He lost to Finn Balor. And he just lost to John Cena. That's four consecutive losses in a row for Jason Jordan. Now, if they're going to turn him heel soon, that might be for the best. Maybe that'll salvage him. I'm not exactly sure. Um, but it's better than whatever they're doing right now. Now, I'll talk about Miz and Jeff Hardy in a moment. And they fought for the Intercontinental Championship on Monday. But... Do you go back to Miz and Jason Jordan already? They after they already kind of cut that feud short, and Miz went on to other challengers. Like, do you already go back to that, despite the fact that Jordan has not deserved, has not earned a shot at that championship? I'm not really sure. So, um, because they didn't do Jordan and Miz at SummerSlam, they've already quickly moved away from the feud because Jordan is just not getting over the way that they had hoped. So, fingers crossed for him. He's a great talent. I would hate to see him flounder. But just so far, it's not working. Just whatever it is, it's not clicking. And I think a lack of charisma and personality have contributed to that so far. But anyway, like I said, Cena, Jordan, great way to kick off the show and the in-ring action part of the show. Um, immediately afterwards, Cena was confronted by Roman Reigns coming out of the commercial break. And they had another awesome verbal exchange on the microphone. 
Uh, Roman Reigns taking shots at Cena and vice versa, you know, taking a lot of pot shots in regards to... I, I forgot exactly what they were talking about. I remembered more of what they said from their contract signing a week ago. Um, but they were still, you know, kind of breaking kayfabe a little bit, talking about this guy burying that guy, he's an old-timer, blah, 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 you're a part-timer, Cena, and all this other shit. Cena once again getting the better of Roman Reigns in the mic, but I thought the delivery from Roman Reigns was a lot better than last week. Uh, he fared well for himself here, and the feud continues to be one of the best, the best parts of Raw. Uh, credit to John at John Knapp on the Twitter machine, at underscore John Knapp on Twitter. I believe is his latest Twitter handle, but he had said, and I completely agree that I retweeted that Roman Reigns and John Cena have really been revitalizing Raw in recent weeks. Um, maybe not revitalizing. I think Raw has been pretty strong as of late, a lot better than it usually is around this time of the year. But the key with Raw, and I'll talk about this more at the end, is that they maintain this momentum going into the fall season. How many times have WWE just rolled over and died? When it comes to football season, which starts back up on Monday, by the way, and they have nothing advertised for Raw. Now, we might get a million mentions about how this is the season premiere of Monday Night Raw, which means nothing, by the way. There is no significance as to whether this is the season premiere. It means nothing. They're just saying that to draw more viewers in for the uh, return of Monday Night Football so they're, you know, so the rating goes up or whatever. So the ratings don't go into the toilet again. But the ratings haven't been all that strong anyway over the summer. I mean, they have no competition, so... When the ratings aren't doing well when there's no competition, just imagine how bad they're going to be when football comes back in just a few days. So I don't really care about the ratings, but the issue that, again, the ratings to me are really irrelevant. There's nothing I can do to change it. I tune in the Raw every single week to watch the show. If there's nothing I can do to change that, then whatever. I'm more concerned with the quality of the show. Now, again, this was a good show, and I'll get to the rest of the Raw review in a second. But the big issue that WWE faces around this time of the year Every single year that happened last year, the year before, the year before that. It's happened every year for the past, I mean, really, ever. I mean, maybe not ever, but at least the better part of the past five or six years. When it comes to the fall and they realize that they're being just destroyed in the ratings, instead of putting their best foot forward, they just roll over and die. And they just kind of phone it in for the next few months until the Royal Rumble time. Like, oh, you know, the programming will pick up around WrestleMania time. And that's when we can start caring again. Like, that should not be the case. They should be putting their best foot forward and producing the best television all year round. Regardless of whether it's Winter, Fall, WrestleMania, Survivor Series, like, whatever it might be, they should be putting forth shows like this one. Again, not a, not a great show, a solid show, um, but it's better than a bad show, which we've gotten way too much of in the past. Last fall, I'm trying to think of what happened last fall in the WWE. Who was champion at that point? After SummerSlam 2016, we had Kevin Owens as champion. But we had Kevin Owens and Rollins, and whew, a lot of those Raws just were just completely abysmal. Very abysmal. Uh, before Goldberg came back, and that kind of helped matters out a bit, but December Raws were not fucking good. The January Raws were pretty terrible, too. SmackDown was great, but with Raw, it was just in this holding pattern for a long time, and we always get this some sort of hot angle. On the final Raw of the summer, with like right, like what we saw here with Braun Strowman and Big Show, um, when Braun Strowman put Big Show through the steel cage, which again I'll get to in a few moments, and then or like last year when Triple H came back, helped Kevin Owens win the Universal Championship in shocking fashion. What a moment, right? What an amazing close to Raw, and then nothing. There's no real exciting follow up, and then they just kind of phone it in for the next few months. So I hope that's not the case with Raw this year. SmackDown too. SmackDown's not where it was once at a few months ago even. So here's hoping both shows can kind of maintain momentum going forward and they don't fall off a cliff as football season uh, as football season quickly approaches. So anyway, Cena, Jordan, great match. Roman, Cena, really good verbal exchange. Uh, Sheamus and Cesaro beating Heath Slater and Rhino in a quick squash match to further their feud with the Raw Tag Team Champions, Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose. Uh, like I talked about earlier, The Miz and Jeff Hardy, a great match, an excellent match for the Intercontinental Championship, a match that was advertised one week in advance, as it should have been. Um, I thought we would get some sort of interference from The Miz Taraj, which we kind of did at one point, but the referee uh, went out of his way to ban both uh, Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel from ringside, as well as Matt Hardy. And then when you saw Marie's there, you kind of figured she would you know, factor into the finish in some form or fashion, which she did. 
But still, Miz won the match relatively clean, which is a big, pretty big fucking deal when you consider the fact he beat Jeff Hardy, of all people. Now, it's not the same Jeff Hardy that was WWE champion eight, nine years ago, but still, that's a pretty big deal. Jeff, Jeff Hardy is still one of their more protected players in the company. I don't think he's ever been beaten one-on-one since he came back to the company. So the fact that he lost here is a pretty big deal. It's not an indication they're burying Jeff Hardy, they're mishandling Jeff Hardy. Like, I don't want to hear any of that shit. He lost one match. Cool off, people. It's more of an indication, more of a reflection of how the company views The Miz and how great of a champion he's been. They want to build him up as a credible champion by giving him clean victories in these title matches. That's awesome. I'm all for that. So I thought this match was really, really good, especially once the interference was gotten out of the way early. And uh, Miz winning clean and is still your Intercontinental Champion. So I really, really enjoyed the match. Uh, Kurt Angle already announced last week that Miz will be defending the championship regardless of the result in this match. That it will still be the Miz defending the IC title at No Mercy in a few weeks. Now, we have no idea who that might be. There's been no number one contender match announced for Raw next week. Uh, We have two more Raws left until the pay-per-view. So they have time to figure out who's going to face the Miz. But again, beyond Jason Jordan, I'm not really sure who it could be. Um, Like, Apollo Crews, been there, done that. Kalisto, been there, done that. The guy's never on TV anyway. I mean, I guess they have guys like Goldust and Elias, who's been slowly building momentum, but he's a heel, so it really doesn't make that much sense. Do you do The Miz and Matt Hardy because he beat his brother Jeff Hardy? Like, I'm not really sure what you do. Um, I think Miz and Roman Reigns would have been... You know, a lot of people's idea after what we saw from them, the Raw after SummerSlam, but Roman's already booked to face John Cena at the show. So, again, I'm not really sure what they'll do with The Miz. Do they do a multi-man matchup? Do they do, like, him and Finn Balor would be pretty cool, but Finn Balor's already facing Bray Wyatt. So they don't really have many options. Uh, Miz and Big Show, like, again, been there, done that, and Big Show's out hurt reportedly anyway. So I'm not really sure what they do, but I guess we'll find out Monday on Raw. After that, a six-man tag team match from the Cruiserweights. And, I mean, it really, first of all, wasn't a match. The match happened, but the focus was more so on the promo that took place beforehand from Enzo that felt like it went on forever. It was a five-minute promo, but it, it might as well have been 50 minutes because it just never really seemed to end. Uh, the match saw him, Cedric Alexander, and Grand Metallic, who I'm glad are picking up victories, but Enzo and the Cruiserweights so far, eh... Not really sold, but anyway, so the Babyfaces beat Drew Gulak, Tony Nese, and Noam Dar again in a rematch from 205 the week prior, so, uh, 205 Live the week prior, so there really wasn't anything new about the matchup itself, um, just more so that Enzo is obnoxious and he had to cheat to win. And then he also went on to win the Fatal 5-Way, like I said, on 205 Live the next night to become the new number one contender of the Cruiserweight Championship and face Neville for the title at the No Mercy Show later this month. So, I hope Neville's a miracle worker, because I'm not sure how he's going to get a competent contest out of Enzo Amore. This match and the past couple of showings for Enzo have been any indication, but like I said earlier, though, definitely go out of your way to watch that Fatal 5-Way from 205 Live this week. I thought it was a really, really good match. Uh, Cedric Alexander especially shined. The guy's fucking awesome, and has been absolutely one of the most underutilized guys on the Raw brand since uh, the dawn of the Cruiserweight division. Now, he was picking up momentum for a while, like I know he won his feud with Noam Dar a few months ago, but once that wrapped up, they have really done nothing with him at all. Now, like him and Grand Metallic have been winning tag team matches on 205 Live and then stuff like this, which is great. Grand Metallic, the guy had been missing for so long, I'm glad he's even alive. You would have thought that he would have been dead or something, or he was fired because we hadn't seen him in ages, so I'm glad he's back, he's winning matches, the guy's fucking great too. Um, but Cedric especially, he got four or three of the four eliminations in that Fatal Five way. He beat Brian Kendrick, he beat Graham Metallic, and Tony Nese. The only reason he lost was because Enzo rolled him up and, and held the tight. So, I hope Enzo goes healed because the guy's fucking obnoxious anyway. I know he's popular, that's really the only thing he's got going for him right now, other than the fact he's a good talker, but even his promos suck right now. There's just really no point to his promos. But Cedric should be the next guy to take that title from Neville. Um, he's that good. He's had uh, a great string of wins over the past couple of months, and uh, he was one of those guys coming out of the Cruiserweight Classic about a year ago that people had high hopes for coming out of that match with Kota Ibushi. Uh, The match with Kota Ibushi was one of the best bouts all year in WWE, and Cedric Alexander is that good. He can connect with crowds. He's a great babyface, so I really hope they capitalize on Cedric as the next number one contender after Enzo gets his shot and hopefully loses 
and No Mercy later this month. Uh, Bray Wyatt interrupting Finn Balor and them just talking about their feud and they're going to have another match and No Mercy. It's, it's I don't know. It's a lost cause with Bray Wyatt. I mean, unless they turn him babyface, it's just impossible to care about the guy right now. Um, and I've said this time and time and time and time again. It's just, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's you know, rather rinse repeat with this guy. Wash, rinse, repeat. That uh, with, with Bray Wyatt, it's the same thing every single feud, every single fucking week. The delivery is on point, but he says absolutely nothing at all. We saw it in this feud with Balor. We've seen it before with Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, Dean Ambrose, The Undertaker, John Cena. He does the same thing every single feud. Randy Orton, the list goes on and on and on, and nothing ever changes. It's just the same stuff every single week. And I like Finn Balor. I thought his promo here was decent. And he should win at No Mercy. But what does that mean for Bray Wyatt? Does Bray Wyatt go on to face Enzo Amore? Like, what do you do with him after this feed wraps up? Does anyone even really care? Like, that's the thing. Does anyone honestly, truly care about Bray Wyatt at this point? Like, now I don't want to hear, oh, he could be a future champion. He already is a former WWE champion. He's got that under his belt, thankfully. But I don't even want to hear, oh, but he's got a lot of potential. Like, I know that. I realize he's got a lot of potential. Someone tweeted me a couple days ago after I wrote an article about the guy saying that the Finn Balor feud with with Bray Wyatt was ruining Finn Balor's momentum on Raw, which is true. And someone reached out and said, well, it's not Bray Wyatt's fault. I never said it was Bray Wyatt's fault. It's the booking of Bray Wyatt that fucking kills me because the guy isn't doing anything of note. It's the same thing every week, every feud. Who the fuck could possibly care? I never said it was his fault, but he lost a lot of weight. He's a great wrestler. Okay, he lost a lot of weight. He can have really good matches. I'm not denying that. And I know he's only 29. He pointed that out to me too. I realize he's only 29 years old. Or he's relatively young. I'm not saying he's damaged goods. He's getting close. Um, he's, he's scary close to getting to that point. But right now he's not. He just needs more credible wins under his belt and more feuds that make me give a shit. Because this Balor feud, I mean, on paper seemed cool. I think a lot of people wanted to see it. But Balor should be doing other shit right now. Like, this feud would mean something if, if Bray Wyatt meant something. If coming off the Seth Rollins feud that people have already forgotten about, and the Orton feud, which fucking sucked, that maybe the Finn Balor feud would have been good. But so far, it's like the matches have been they've been good. They've been solid. Not great. The Seth Rollins matches were, were pretty good. But it did Bray Wyatt no favors. And winning the match is clean. I mean, the guy won the match is clean. He beat Seth Rollins clean twice. But, I mean, no one cares any more about Bray Wyatt than they did two or three months ago. Like, that's part of the problem here. So, anyway, I really hope they have something in mind for uh, for Bray Wyatt beyond this feeder, especially Finn Balor. Bray Wyatt, I could not give two shits about at this point. But Finn Balor, the guy deserves better. Um, he still gets pretty big reactions, despite the fact he hasn't done too much since he came back from injury earlier this year. I mean, I guess I completely forgot about the fact he... Um, had to vacate the Universal Championship and doesn't really give a shit about the title, but whatever. Um, hopefully we do see Finn back in the title picture at some point because this Bray Wyatt feud, man, is just treading water. Just a complete waste of time. Uh, from the women, we had a tag team match. It was Emma and Nia Jax taking on Sasha Banks and the Raw Women's Champion Alexa Bliss. Uh, so if Sasha and Alexa won, their match at No Mercy would remain a one-on-one -on -one bout. But if Emma and Jax won... Their match would turn into a fatal four-way for the Raw Women's Championship. And sure enough, Emma and Nia Jax won. Now, I thought the layout of the match was was cool. Uh, we don't really see, see too many of these matches where there are high stakes. So I thought that was a cool way to kind of keep me invested. The crowd didn't really seem to care. Um, it's kind of hard for... It's kind of hard to expect them to care. When Alexa Bliss, or Alexa Bliss and Sasha have been enemies for so long, and they hate each other, and one's a heel, one's a babyface, and the other two people on the other team are heels, like, it's a weird dynamic, so I didn't really, uh, I wasn't disappointed, the crowd didn't care, because I kind of expected them not to care, but the match itself was good, um, I'm glad Emma and Nia Jax won, I highly doubt Emma wins the Fatal 4-Way at No Mercy, I mean, even why, why should she? She's been buried for so long, people just see her as just another woman on the roster, they don't see her the same way that we do, that we know that she's really, really good, that she can be great. On the main roster, she has been a bust. And I'm not just saying that because she's hot, that's no pun intended, that Emma on the main roster has been a bust because they have not yet figured out how to utilize her properly. From the Emmalina garbage to the dancing shit a couple years ago when she was put with Santino to just recently the give Emma a chance stuff, like 
everything they've done with her is like almost purposely trying to ruin the girl. Like it's, I'm not even really sure why, cause she's really, really good, but whatever. At least she's getting a title shot of no mercy or first ever shot um, at the Raw Women's Championship. I know she was in the Divas title Invitational or whatever it was at WrestleMania thing a few years ago. I think at WrestleMania 30. But beyond that, I don't think Emma's ever gotten a one-on-one shot at the uh, either the SmackDown or Raw Women's Championships, which is pretty cool. So we'll see how that shakes out um, going forward and see how she fares in the four-way at No Mercy. We had Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins quickly beating Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson. The match was all right. Um, but Anderson and Gallows, what the fuck? They give these guys victories every, like, they throw them a bone every once in a while. But then there's weeks like this where they get decisively defeated by the tag champs, which is one thing, and that's okay, because they're not in the tag title match at the next pay-per-view, whatever. But then they have them get beat up by Sheamus and Cesaro for no apparent reason. Like, why the fuck would you do that? Uh, that was really weird, so... The match was good, but Anderson and Gallows, they're just, I don't know if they should move to SmackDown or what, but at this point, they're just not doing anything, and it's, again, hard for people to care about them. And then the main event, Braun Strowman and the Big Show, like I mentioned earlier, inside a steel cage, a really, really good match. If you told me that a year ago, that Braun Strowman and Big Show would headline Raw and have a great match, I would have called you crazy. They did headline Raw at one point, about a year and a half ago, in February of 2016, and the match fucking was awful, one of the worst Raw matches, or one of the worst Raw main events in a long-ass time, um, but a lot has changed since then with Braun Strowman, the guy's come a long way, and he's a really, really good performer, him and Big Show work really, one, uh, really work wonderfully together, when you look at their two matches from earlier this year, now this match, closing out Raw on a high note, um, they did reinforce the ring, which was a nice touch, a nice uh, kind of attention to detail there, so uh, the match was really good. Big Show hitting the choke slam, knockout punch, hitting really all of his signature spots. Nothing was able to put Braun Strowman away. And then finally Strowman hitting his finish, pinning Big Show. Even Big Show did a freaking flying forearm, a uh, flying elbow off the top rope. Uh, kind of an ode to the Macho Man, but it wasn't enough to put Strowman away. Strowman kicked out. So yeah, great match. Strowman wins in clean fashion, cuts a promo on Brock Lesnar saying he is ready for no mercy. Before putting Big Show, I'm not ready, I'm not done with you, Big Show. I'm not finished with you, big man. So then he takes Big Show, puts him through the steel cage wall, and uh, seemingly writing Big Show out of storylines for the foreseeable future. So I thought this was great. An awesome way to close out the show, making Braun Strowman once again out to look like a beast and ready for Brock Lesnar in a few weeks at the No Mercy show. Um, But with Big Show, I know someone mentioned this yesterday in my hashtag AskGSM video. What does this mean for his future? Is he leaving the company? Should he leave the company? Should he be done wrestling? And I I, I say yes. Not because he's bad, because he can still have good matches like this. Then again, the big cast match, the shark cage match at SummerSlam was kind of sort of terrible. But him and Strowman work really well together. And Strowman, they've put him over as the next big man. That we've needed another big show, Keen, Kali, Mark Henry, whatever, for a long time now. And we finally have it in the form of Braun Strowman. So he put over Braun. He went out the same way he came in by throwing Stone Cold through a steel cage wall many, many years ago, 20 years ago on Raw, or, uh, or 18 years ago at St. Valentine's Day Massacre, one of the In Your House shows. But um, yeah, I think it would be a good way for Big Show to be kind of written out of storylines as a wrestler forever. I mean, he can come back for an occasional match, but he's not really needed. Like, is there any Big Show match that people are dying to see? I mean, if he retired at WrestleMania against Shaq, like, which was the original plan before the Shaq negotiations fell through, that would have been cool. It was a big marquee match. It was a money match. I mean, the match would have been pretty bad from an in-ring standpoint. But it would have got mainstream attention. People would have seen it as a spectacle, as an attraction. And Big Show is still an attraction. Uh, he finally is. I mean, he has been for a long time, but they're finally figuring out how to use him properly. By not losing every single match but at least losing most of his matches and putting over people that are worth it, like people they see as future big stars and big cast and Braun Strowman. So, again, um, great match. I thought Big Show did a hell of a job here, and if this was his final match as he prepares to undergo hip surgery, I would have nothing against that. I think it would be the perfect way to kind of uh, have him right off into the sunset. So that was Raw, like I said earlier, pretty solid show. We'll finish off here. I mean, we have some time to talk about SmackDown and NXT. From SmackDown on Tuesday, September 5th, we kicked off the night with Shane McMahon attacking Kevin Owens. 
which later led to Shane McMahon getting suspended by Daniel Bryan at the demand of the board of directors, specifically Shane's father, Vince McMahon, who will be appearing on SmackDown this coming Tuesday. So we'll talk about more about I'll talk more about next week's show at the end of the review. But I thought what they did with on Tuesday with Shane and Kevin and even Daniel was really, really good. Um, I was already excited for the Shane and Kevin feud. I mean, the focus was more on, like, AJ and that kind of stuff before SummerSlam. But with just Shane and Owens, uh, we kind of saw a little bit of it before the brand split went into effect last year. Uh, They kind of crossed paths on a few occasions, but then they got separated by the brand splits. We never saw the continuation of that mini-feud backstage. And now they're finally resuming that rivalry, and they work really, really well together. Owens came across like a total asshole here, saying that Shane uh, should have died in that car crash, or the plane crash, rather, and his family would have been better off for it, which, and he started talking about Shane's kids, which obviously pissed Shane off, and then he went after Owens, which in turn caused Owens to say that he was going to sue the WWE, how dare he put his hands on me, and then Shane got suspended indefinitely by Daniel Bryan, which the crowd was hot for, and they were rallying behind Shane. They didn't boo Daniel. They just booed the decision. So I thought the whole thing was really, really well done. I'm looking forward to seeing where they go next with that feud. And they'll probably face off at Hell in the Cell. Because if you don't do it at Hell in the Cell, I don't know what else you do at that show. Um, I could see them bringing back Shane as a regular member of the roster. He's not going to be having matches every week. But it would explain why he's wrestling and not serving as an authority figure at Hell in the Cell or whatever. But yeah, that should be a good match. And uh, I thought what they did on Tuesday, again, was really, really well done. Natalia beating Carmella in non-title action. And also, too, when Owens came out to confront Shane and talk about Shane whatever, he interrupted Carmella's entrance because it looked like Natalia and Carmella would kick off the show. And I thought that was a, a cool twist, too, kind of a refreshing change of pace from what we normally see on SmackDown and Raw to kick off shows. I mean, it would have been cool to have a match kick off the show, but the way they did this, I thought was clever. As opposed to having Owens just come out and talk, he interrupted the match because he thought it was an urgent matter. So again, I thought that was wonderful. But uh, Natalia, Carmella, decent little match. Natalia winning after James Ellsworth um, by accident cost Carmella the contest. So that led to Carmella running down James Ellsworth. You're a piece of shit. You're not worth it. I wish you were never born. Blah, 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 blah. The whole, you, I hope you, I wish you had died in the womb kind of thing um, that we saw from the Bella Twins a few years ago. That also happened around this time a few years ago. So I really hope we're not getting back to that time of the year where Everyone starts wishing death upon the others, but anyway. Uh, I thought the match was alright. The Carmella-Ellsworth breakup was decent uh, before they got right back together by the end of the show, so I'm not really sure what purpose that served. Uh, They not only got back together, but she made out with them backstage before promptly slapping him, so lucky dude. Slap or not. Uh, I'm sure Big Cass would would not be too happy about that. I know Big Cass is currently hurt, but... I think the best way to split up Carmella and Ellsworth, with, uh, Carmella and Ellsworth, and they don't really need to be together anymore anyway. Like I think Carmella has enough heat um, on her own where she doesn't really need Ellsworth, and Ellsworth is—they're just kind of justifying keeping him around at this point. And I know Big Cass probably needs Carmella more than Carmella needs Big Cass, but they make sense as a duo. They're a real-life couple. Uh, they can benefit from being on the same show. And as a kind of a valet manager wrestler combo there, I think it'd be really, really cool. So again, I know Big Cass is out hurt right now, but when he comes back, I think the best way to split up Carmella and Ellsworth is to have Cass come to SmackDown, say that when he was out, his Raw contract lapsed or something, I don't know. What they did with Swagger a few years ago, about a year ago, uh, they said that Swagger's contract expired, and then he showed up on SmackDown the next night. His Raw contract expired, and then he showed up on SmackDown soon after. They could do the same thing here with uh, Carmella Big Cass. When Big Gas got hurt, uh, his Raw contract ran out, and then he signed with SmackDown, and he comes out, beats the shit out of James Ellsworth, and we never see him again, and then we have Big Cass and Carmella as an on-air duo. So I'd be in full favor of that. Again, it's not possible right now because Big Cass is out hurt, and even if he wasn't out hurt, I doubt they would do it, but that's how I would book it. And also next week, it will be Natalia versus Naomi in a rematch from SummerSlam for the SmackDown Women's Championship. Dolph Ziggler also re-debuted on this show. Speaking of people I could not care less about after talking about Bray Wyatt earlier, good God, I mean, even worse than Wyatt, I mean, Wyatt, again, I feel like if they turned him, he might be something as a babyface. At least it would be something different. With Dolph Ziggler, they've turned him so many times, and I thought turning him heel earlier this year might be, you know, the key in revitalizing his career. It really hasn't, though, unfortunately. Um, He's still coming out to the same awful music he came out to 
John Cena's music here. He came out to Naomi's music. He came out to Randy Savage's music. What a disgrace from Dolph Ziggler. But um, also, my, my girlfriend told me, because she's seen her at a bunch of shows before that she's been to, that the woman that came out with Dolph Ziggler on Tuesday was the real-life wife of Eugene. Yes, Eugene is married to that piece of ace. Uh, I guess she's the Mrs. South Dakota of 2016 because they were in Sioux Falls, South Dakota on Tuesday, which is around where my girlfriend lives. So that's how she would know. But yeah, Eugene is married to her, believe it or not. Um, But anyway, I thought this whole thing was a waste of time. Uh, None of this was just served any purpose at all. A lot like the Enzo promo on Raw this week. It's like, oh my God, who the fuck cares? Like, where is this going? And if his contract is up next month, as has been reported, that I really hope that he puts over like someone like a Bobby Roode or a Ty Dillinger on the way out, because I'm not even really sure what this is supposed to be. I mean, Bobby Roode is all about the pomp and circumstance, which is what Dolph Ziggler was talking about here. So maybe that's where this is headed, but just, I don't know. I mean, Ziggler's a great wrestler, but again, he's peaked. He peaked a long time ago. But the thing is, is that five years ago, when he was a great wrestler, even then too, that he was one of the few great wrestlers on the roster. We didn't have many people like Dolph Ziggler on the roster at that point. Nowadays, everybody's a great wrestler. So Dolph Ziggler doesn't really stand out as much, and his character work is terrible. So I really hope that he puts over someone on the way out at Hell in the Cell, because right now, whatever the hell they're doing with him, I'm not even, I, I, I can't bring myself to care, like I said with Wyatt. Um, speaking of Bobby Roode, they did a quick vignette on him, a quick vignette, uh, showcasing his debut two years ago, or two years ago, two weeks ago on SmackDown, it should have been two years ago, but anyway, talking about his debut and his arrival on SmackDown a few weeks back, and what he will bring to SmackDown Live, and how he will make the blue brand glorious again. Sami Zayn versus Aiden English up next. Of the three matches these guys have had on SmackDown in the past month, month and a half or so, Aiden English has won every encounter. And I'm not even really sure if they're feuding or not. Uh, English beat Zayn clean for the first time, I think in late July. They had a rematch last week, which Owens helped English win because he put on the referee costume, whatever. He put on the referee shirt. So English won. Shane said it didn't count. They had a rematch in this week's show. I'm thinking, okay, Sammy will get the win back to kind of regain some momentum. And he lost clean again. And at this point, Sami Zayn, I mean, for a while now, he has felt like just another guy in the roster. But it's unbelievable that a guy with as much fanfare, that with as much popularity as Zayn does, as over as he is with the audience, for whatever reason, I mean, the guy is awesome, obviously, but he's been booked like shit over the last year, that people still care about him. Um, it blows my mind, and this is another reason why that I feel like they are intentionally trying to ruin Sami Zayn, by having him lose another meaningless match to Ian and English, who means nothing. I mean, English is all right, but Zane is a should be a way bigger priority than Aiden English. And what I find even sadder than that is the fact that English now owns more victories over Zane than Mike Kanellis did when they were feuding a few months ago. So it's it's ass backwards booking. I don't know what they're doing with Sammy, but it's it's not good. Um, I already talked about Brian and Shane and Brian suspending Shane. Baron Corbin versus Ty Dillinger after Corbin attacked Ty Dillinger before and after his shot at the United States Championship last week against AJ Styles. Corbin won this match. It was more of a competitive contest than I thought it would be, but I appreciated that. It was a really good match. Corbin wins to kind of pick up some momentum. And uh, Dillinger, despite the loss, was confronted by AJ afterward backstage, who said that last week he never really got a fair shake at the U.S. title. Next week he will get it in a rematch between Dillinger and Styles for the United States Championship. So I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully we can get a more, uh, a better bout between the two than we did last week. I mean, their match last week was all right while it lasted, but it was only like a minute or two long. Like, how much can you really do in one or two minutes? So I'm looking forward to them having a longer match next week, hopefully without interference from Baron Corbin. And then the main event, Shinsuke Nakamura versus Randy Orton in the winner, with the winner, challenging Jinder Mahal for the WWE Championship at the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view next month. Sure enough, Nakamura did win. Orton needed this match. Did not need the win. He needed the match, though. Um, after so many matches that just fell flat between the matches with Bray Wyatt and then Jinder Mahal and then Rusev, Orton needed a great match. And he got it here with Shinsuke, unsurprisingly. 
They worked well together. Uh, the crowd was into it. And the, the crowd was into it. They were behind Nakamura. They were behind Randy Orton. They would have been fun with either guy winning here. Uh, but in the end, it was Nakamura hitting the Kinsaja against the Randy Orton, as uh, Corey Graves would say. He was back on SmackDown commentary, by the way, after JBL left over the weekend um, to kind of focus on at-risk kids, charities, and stuff like that. So good for JBL to win-win for SmackDown. I forgot to mention that, by the way, the, the whole thing that happened there. I mean, it really wasn't a whole thing. JBL gave his notice reportedly about 11 months ago, took off over the weekend um, without saying goodbye. He just kind of left. Now Corey Graves has replaced him, which I think is a much better, uh, he's going to fare much better in the role than JBL did. I mean, JBL was a great commentator five years ago, and I talked more about this in depth in my one of my recent articles for HiddenRemote.com, so check it out when you can, about how JBL had really turned into a terrible commentator for a long time there, and still up until just recently before he left. Um, so hopefully Corey Graves will not be as overexposed in the role as color commentator for both Raw and SmackDown. The guy is the best color commentator they have, so I'm glad he's in the role, and uh, hopefully, you know, JBL stays as far away from SmackDown as humanly possible. Um, but yeah, Nakamura and Orton, really, really good match. It will be Nakamura versus Jinder Part 2, uh, Part 2 at Hell in the Cell next month for the WWE Championship, and again, a really good match to close out the show, and as people have brought up, it's weird that Nakamura is having his best main roster matches on SmackDown and not on pay-per-view. Uh, the pay-per-view matches with Corbin, with Ziggler, with, uh, with with Jinder were all kind of mediocre, but then the rematches he had with said people on SmackDown were significantly better. And the matches he's had on TV with Cena and Orton as of late have also been fantastic. Uh, so again, really love the match. Looking forward to Nakamura and Jinder Part 2, if only because Nakamura can finally win the WWE Championship. Uh, the Jinder experiment is just not working for me. He just recently surpassed the 100 days as WWE Champion, which I did not think would be possible, but it's happened. Uh, it has happened. I did not think he would win the WWE Championship, let alone hold it for 100 days, but he has. So uh, kudos to him. But uh, yeah, good main event to close out another solid show on SmackDown. Next week, we have a pretty loaded episode emanating from Las Vegas right before the finals of the Mae Young Classic take place. Um, as I said earlier, Mr. McMahon returning to SmackDown for the first time in I don't know how long. I'm not sure when the last time McMahon was on SmackDown, Vince McMahon that is, but he will be on the blue brand this coming week to address the situation between Kevin Owens and, uh, between Kevin Owens and Shane, his son Shane, so... Looking forward to any interaction between KO and Vince. I don't think we've seen that before prior to this point. So seeing how KO will uh, stand up to Vince, looking forward to seeing how that kind of shakes out. In addition to his appearance, we also have for the SmackDown Women's Championship, like I said earlier, Natalia versus Naomi in a rematch from SummerSlam. We have for the SmackDown Tag Team titles, another rematch from SummerSlam. The Usos defend against the New Day in a Las Vegas street fight, which should be pretty good. And we also have for the United States Championship, AJ Styles and Ty Dillinger uh, in a rematch from two weeks ago at that point. Uh, just It was from last week's show, but by that point it will have been from two weeks ago. So predictions, um, like I said with Vince and Owens, I'm not really sure what to expect, which is a good thing. Um, I think Natalia will retain the SmackDown Women's Championship. I think Styles will hold on to the United States Championship. But I do think the tag titles are changing hands. And uh, the only reason I say that is because after the report that came out not too long ago that said, I think WWE's intention for the reason why they've been taking titles on and off certain people is to break records and whatever. I guess they want the New Day to hold the championships as many times as possible to break like the Dudley Boys record or something. They've already held the championships three separate times between the Raw Tag Titles twice and the SmackDown Tag Titles once. I think they will regain the gold on Tuesday. Hopefully, that's the end of the feud. I mean, if they have a tag team Hell in the Cell match, that could be pretty cool. But the feud has run its course. I think they might continue it until Hell in the Cell. But I think New Day is regaining the gold on Tuesday. And that's it. Also, for NXT on Wednesday, a pretty good show last night. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it start to finish. First three matches were all squashes. Andrade Cien Almas beating Cesar Bononi in a rematch from a few, uh, few months ago when Cesar beat Almas in an upset victory, but Almas avenged the loss on this show. Lars Sullivan taking on three men at once by the name of Jake James, uh, Alfred Watkins, and Ricky Martinez in a three-on-one handicap match before laying out No Way Jose as well. So that's a good feed to kind of kick off Sullivan's run, singles run in NXT. 
Sonya Deville beating Zeta um, in a fine squash match. Deville's getting better and better with every appearance that I see of her on NXT. Uh, the only issue is that, as many other people have pointed out, we already have Sheena Baszler, who's a legitimate MMA fighter, as was Deville. But I think Baszler plays that role significantly better than Deville does. So I don't know how that's going to affect Deville's push at all in NXT if they do and when they sign Baszler. Uh, but Baszler will be in the finals of the Mae Young Classic, like I said on Tuesday. I think Zayn's winning it, but I do think Baszler will end up with a contract. In fact, they did tease, before I get to the rest of NXT, they did tease, I, I think the final episode of the Mae Young Classic that went up on Monday, a backstage, you know, they, they teased it outside, a confrontation and possibly a future face-off between the four horsewomen of MMA and the four horsewomen of, the Uf, uh, of WWE. They had Charlotte, Bailey, and Sasha Banks. Not Sasha, excuse me. She wasn't there. I think she was doing a tour of like Australia or something that day. But it was Charlotte, Bailey, and Becky Lynch confronting Ronda Rousey, uh, something Schaefer, uh, Roderick Strong's wife, and then the other woman. So it looks like they're setting up some sort of tag team match there, maybe for Survivor Series. I would hold off until WrestleMania. And I don't even think Bailey will be ready by Survivor Series anyway, so I think WrestleMania might be a better choice. Unless they want to do Charlotte and Ronda one-on-one, which would also be really, really cool. Um, but I guess we'll see what they do. But I thought that was really awesome, though. So anyway, to the rest of NXT, Cassius Ono beating Hideo Itami in a no-disqualification match. A fun match while it lasted. Ono get the, uh, hit, hit Itami with the low blow that led him to scoring the victory. So again, a good match. I'm not sure if the feud is over, but if it is over, a good win for Ono. Itami needs the Momentum more. He needs more wins than Ono does right now. Ono hasn't scored many victories as of late, but I think Atami's the one who can really shine as a heel right now. But still a fun match. Ono needed the win at some point. And uh, Asuka, in the main event, relinquishing the NXT Women's Championship. Not dropping it, but after an amazing reception, ama- excuse me, an amazing reception from the Full Sail University crowd, William Regal out there, the NXT GM, Triple H came out, the entire NXT Women's Division and the rest of the roster all celebrating Asuka and her 523-day reign as NXT Women's Champion. Unprecedented. Regal called her one of the greatest champions in WWE history, which he's not wrong about. Uh, The whole segment, I thought, was stellar. I mean, we kind of already knew about this a few weeks ago when it was uh, the news broke on WWE.com and they spoiled it for all of us. But they kind of had to because people would be talking about it anyway. It was already filmed at the taping from two weeks ago. The, the, The dirt sheets would have talked about it regardless. So WWE.com breaking the story first was not entirely surprising. But um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to seeing what's next for Asuka. They kind of already teased that she's already already in talks with Raw and SmackDown GMs. So it's been rumored that she will end up on Raw. I've already talked about Asuka going to the main roster. I won't really give too many more thoughts on it until we see what's next for her officially. But um, I thought this was great. I thought this was really, really well done. Came across like a super special moment with the crowd reaction and who was out there and Asuka tearing up and the promo she gave. She genuinely loves NXT. Um, so it's great to see her embarking on bigger and better things. The show of respect from Ember Moon was really cool. I think we still don't know what's next, like how they will crown the next NXT Women's Champion. But... I would think that they're going to have the winner, what I would do anyway, is have the winner of the Mae Young Classic not be crowned the new champion, but have them face, and I think it should be Kyrie Zane, face the winner of some sort of tournament or a battle royal in NXT. So if you give the title to the winner of the Mae Young Classic, it kind of fucks over all the other women in NXT who deserve a shot first, like an Ember Moon or a Peyton Royce, a Billy Kay, and all those other women. Um, so I would have a battle royal in NXT or a mini tournament with Ember Moon winning. I think she deserves to be the next champion, if not Kyrie Zane. Uh, but Zane and Ember Moon could be a damn good match for the vacant title at the next takeover in November. I think that takeover is going to be, I think, in Texas. Um, I think they're in Dallas, I want to say again, for Survivor Series weekend. I know it's in Texas, but I just can't remember where. But um, anyway, so looking forward to that. I thought the whole episode of NXT was really good on Wednesday night. And that does it. I think that's uh, about it to wrap up today's episode of WrestleRant Radio. Thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. Be sure to find me on the Twitter machine at WrestleRant. On Facebook as well at Facebook.com backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews. And also on YouTube at YouTube.com backslash C backslash Graham GSM Matthews. 
Like I said, guys, new episodes of Wrestle Rant Radio up every single Thursday right here on NextAirWrestling.net. Like I said earlier, uh, first of all, check out my exclusive interview with Johnny Impact. Uh, you already heard the audio earlier, but you can check out the written review, the written version of the interview up right now on HiddenRemote.com. But next week, like I said, at the start of the show, GFW will be hosting on their conference call next Wednesday. Uh, Big John Gaborik, Scott Demore, and Sunjay Dutt, the three head creative writers in GFW, talking their plans for Bound for Glory in a few months. So if I can land that conference call, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I will be invited anyway. I usually have been for the past couple of weeks. Um, I will be a part of that and air my portion of the interview, my questions to them on next week's episode of Wrestle Rant Radio. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime and in between time, guys, have a great rest of your weekend. I'm Graham G.S. and Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road. Yeah.